All the way from Bokota Village in Limpopo, South Africa, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions, all from the mind of a real-world missionary of almost 20 years. Woody Paul, today I'm privileged to be listening in to you and our guest, Micah Colbert, discussing an interesting aspect of missions. And the question we have for you and our guest today is, when is it good to leave the mission field? Thank you, Carney. And we have a special guest with us today, my dear friend. He is a preacher. He is a friend. He is a husband. He is a father. And he is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're so happy to have you with us, Brother Micah Colbert. Thanks for hey, being with Paul, us today. So glad to be here with you today, for sure. We're going to have a special episode today where we're going to talk about this topic. When is it good to leave the mission field? But before we even get to that, a uh, little story about Micah. Micah and I met each other at college. We went to Ghana, West Africa for a short-term mission trip. So the way it happened, I was walking across campus, and Micah was walking the other way. It was raining. I didn't want to get wet. Micah says, I'm going off campus. I'm meeting with a missionary. I'm going to take a short-term mission trip to Ghana, West Africa. I thought, great, I don't want to get wet. I'll go with him. So I find myself in the middle seat of a single cab pickup truck. The missionary's driving on one side. Micah's on the other side, and they're talking across me. We get to this tiny church, and I sit in the back row, and they introduce us as Paul and Micah, who will be taking a short-term trip to Ghana, West Africa. And I said, not me, you got the wrong guy. I just didn't want to get wet. And before I knew it, I was on a plane with Micah Colbert, are you, are you remembering any of this? In fact, one thing that you might have forgotten is you almost missed that plane flight. Yes. Was that in Kenya? <laughs> I remember seeing you running across. I was so worried that I was going to end up going to Ghana by myself. Yes. And I saw you running with your bags. I said, okay, thankfully he's arrived and we made the journey together. That was a, har- that was a harbinger of things to come. So then we get, to, we get there and Micah was saying, this is all I want to do. This is the place I'm going to go. I was saying... I don't think so. I was on the other side. This is not the place I want to go, etc. At the end of the three weeks, we were in the kind of basement section of the Davis home. And it was late at night. It was the night before we were leaving. And I said, hey, Micah, you awake? Yes. Hey, I got something to tell you. And Micah says, I got something to tell you as well. And Micah says, I just need to tell you, this is not the place for me, I thought this was the place, but this is not at all it. And then you come to me and say, what did you want to tell me? And I said, this place is awesome. I'm coming back here. I already arranged for, to come back for three months the following year. And even there, we had switched, but then we ended up switching again, where I ended up not going to Ghana, although I thought I was going there, and you ended up going And there's a story behind that too. Uh, So I ended up, after getting married, teaching at a Christian school, I was finishing up my MDiv and I was sick one day and I didn't want to call in because I only had a few more sick days left. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to show the video that you and I made together of the mission trip in Ghana. So I think it was the fourth 
it was the fourth class that I was showing the same video to. And suddenly in that moment, and my wife and I had been praying about serving on the mission field and wondering where we would go. After watching it the fourth time, I realized everything I've been praying for, like this field fits. And in the providence of God, he had allowed me to go there. And so the long story short, after about, after the end of the day, I went back home and I said, Debbie, I think, I think the Lord might be leading us to Ghana. And she said, that is interesting because I've been kind of praying about the same thing, but we hadn't really discussed it together. So the Lord used a sick day, uh, obviously a season of prayer, but a sick day watching through that video with different classes five times to kind of redirect our attention and direction to uh, to Ghana. So that's kind of how that all happened. Okay, so we fast forwarded a little bit, but we're now we're going to go back and we're going to find out a little bit about how you even got to the mission field, the kind of upbringing you had. Just kind of give us an overview of the home you grew up in, how you came to Christ, and then what was it that stirred missions in your heart? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, I just am so thankful that I grew up in a home where both my father and mother love the Lord and they love missions. So both, well, my father was a first generation Christian. My mother grew up in a Christian home, but they love the Lord, love missions. And so early on, they would read us missionary biographies. So that was an extremely formative thing uh, in our lives growing up. So reading the biography of, of Hudson Taylor, um, George Mueller, uh, Adoniram Judson, like those are my heroes as a boy. Uh, later on, had the opportunity to do Child Evangelism Fellowship when I was 13. And it was really through that the Lord began to uh, call me into ministry. I think it was a gradual, at least my awareness of the call was a gradual thing. And when you say call, when you say call, help us gain a clear grasp and understanding of calling what what exactly is this a is this a feeling is this a shout from heaven uh how, how do we know yeah if we're calling? great question strong internal desire uh in part through the scriptures as i was reading through the book of romans at that time going through romans chapter 15 where paul talks about seeing the gospel advance to spain people who had not heard would hear people who had not seen would see uh, quoting from Isaiah's prophecy. So reading through that, the Lord began to give me a desire to go where the gospel wasn't. Um, and then beginning to exercise gifts in communicating the gospel and evangelism through Child Evangelism Fellowship as a 13-year-old boy, um, the desire just continued to grow. Let's say someone has a desire. Let, let's say someone has a desire. Is that sufficient? No. No, because there was a confirmation that had to come. Okay. So a desire apart from giftedness and confirmation is only a desire. So I began to talk then with my pastor, and he began to mentor me and grant me some opportunities in small ways to exercise those gifts. And seeing then those gifts confirmed within the church context uh, and seeing God's people confirming that, that was all part of the process. So again, a desire without the confirmation of a local church and the gifts that God's people can clearly see is only a desire. So the desire, the gifts, and the confirmation all coming together. Again, a process 
not an immediate boom, one-time type thing, but a process during my teenage years. Um, then I went to Pensacola at Christian, was going to major in missions, but I decided to major in pastoral ministries instead. And really the, the situation with Ghana was it was my senior year and I was mission prayer band chaplain. We had a mission prayer group. And I knew at this point that uh, I wanted to take a mission trip somewhere. So I just said, Lord, the first opportunity that I hear about, I'm going to pursue that. And if that's what you want, would you open the door? And if not, would you shut the door? And so prayed that. And then uh, Ray Davis, a missionary in Takarati, Ghana, came and presented in Mission Prayer Band and was immediately drawn to what he was doing, um, drawn to what I could tell of the field at that time. And so I approached him and asked him if I could take a trip. And again, long story short, the Lord opened up the door for us to do that. And as I was heading then to uh, meet with a missionary who was in Ghana, but it was back in Pensacola for a furlough, that's when I saw you. I said, hey man, come on in the car. I'm heading out to this place. You came and the rest is uh, history. Okay, so you get to Ghana, West Africa. Tell us a little bit about what your aim was as missionaries, where specifically you went, and what were you striving to do? So uh, after Bible college, went to seminary, which was very formative in my life as far as thinking through mission philosophy. Uh, we went to Ghana with the idea of church planting. That was our goal. We were looking at a place called Cape Coast. It was located near a uh, major university. And we had kind of the idea or the desire to plant a church near the university where we could reach students then who were coming into the area for a time and a season, potentially seeing it as almost like a Thessalonica type hub where people would be trained and then sent out. So in the kindness of God, we did um, plant a church with a national dear brother named Erica Wartree who had been trained at a local Bible institute, he came with us to plant uh, what is now Anchor Baptist Church in Cape Coast. And it is right, again, very close by the university. And so that was our goal, church planting, uh, indigenous church planting. So we wanted to see the church handed off as early as possible to qualified, trained men. And in the kindness of God, we were able to start that church with a qualified, trained man who... Uh, during that four years, really demonstrated clear gifts for leadership and pastoral ministry. Um, and then by God's grace, uh, one individual who is now serving with Eric as the other elder in the church, he was converted early on in the ministry, had a, just a ferocious hunger for the scriptures, and we were able to pour a lot into him. So in fact, our four years in Ghana, most of our time was spent pouring into about five or six men who are now leading and serving in various capacities in that church plant. Okay, outstanding. So this is sailing along. You're saying mm. lifelong missionary. Yep. Oh yeah. Training men. Absolutely. Planting churches. Yep. Living the dream. Oh yeah. Got your family. Have your kids. But we know life has lots of trials. And I think of Paul's words in Second Timothy. This is his swan song. His final letter that he's writing to his disciple Timothy, and he says again and again, imitate me, but interesting how he says to imitate him. Chapter 1 and verse 8, 
join with me in suffering for the gospel. Or again, chapter 2 and verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What did that look like for you? Walk us through a little bit about how an unexpected hardship came into your life. So I'll start with the blessing, the blessing of our first child being born there. Um, in fact, Clara, our firstborn, almost um, almost died during the childbirth process, but the Lord was kind and spared her. She was born with a cord around her neck. Um, long story short, uh, the doctor was almost not present during her birth because he had taken a phone call and was busy doing something else. And uh, But again, God in his grace allowed her to be born relatively healthy. And so uh, we had her in Ghana. And then first year and a half, she was fine, no issues. But after she was weaned, she began to have just repeated bouts with malaria. And each time was progressively worse. We had planned a furlough, um, and within a matter of, boy, four months prior to the time we departed, she, she got malaria four different times. And each time, again, it seemed to really hit her hard. The fourth time I remember just holding her, I had to uh, syringe water into her because she didn't have the strength to pick up her little sippy cup. And really wondering what, like how badly... Her health had been damaged. We were able to, when we came back to the States, see a specialist at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And they looked over Clara and they said, um, you know, if she were to get malaria again, more than likely it would be cerebral. And so that was a real wake-up call. Like, what do we, what do we do? And again, like you mentioned, I mean, our, my lifelong, I mean, really, my dream was to be a lifelong missionary. Never thought about coming back. And even around the time before our furlough, we were making significant strides in the language. The Lord seemed to be just blessing the ministry in very tangible ways. We could see real growth in people's lives. We were beginning to see people that we had been witnessing to for a number of years, um, awakened maybe in like a pre-conversion stage. So a lot of good things going on. Our missionary teammates um, the Porsches came and just immediately there was this close bond with these dear friends. So a lot of good things going on. And again, seemingly this was going to be the place we were going to be for, you know, who knows how long. And so, uh, then with Clara's health issues, we came back to the States again, getting that medical counsel, just begin to pray and think through what, what do we do? This is a stewardship. This is a gift from God. This is a stewardship. And so really wrestled internally, um, struggled mightily. And when you're in the process of thinking through, okay, which direction do I take? If I go back, this could be cerebral malaria and then her health is permanently compromised. Um, do I stay to make sure that she's not in that kind of a situation? Do I relocate? So all of these things are just going through my mind. And of course, when that is happening, we're not, no one's in a position to make a decision that is that weighty in isolation. Um, 
So I took counsel from our ascending pastor. I took counsel from our mission board director and just submitted the situation to the Lord. I said, Lord, our plans are being held with open hands. Whatever you want, that's what we want. Um, so when talking with our pastor, our sending pastor, talking with our mission board director, talking with a few other of our supporting pastors, they all gave the same counsel. And so which that was, was which was to, to which was come back to the States yeah. or relocate to a different mission field. With our missionary teammates having arrived, the church was, I wouldn't say it was fully indigenous at that time, but it was moving in that direction. Moving in that direction and just needed a little more, a little more support by way of mentoring and discipling to get there. So it was hard. I mean, Paul, it was it was very, very challenging, but looking back now. I can't remember who said Providence is best understood when read backwards. Um, looking back now, seeing God's hand in all of that um, in just wonderful ways, but going through that process, I'm thankful for brothers who walked walked with us and, and through that. Any particular passage that you hung on to during that time you leaned on to give you direction, hope, encouragement? Yeah, um, an old one, but a good one. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. I mean, what a promise. So we just had to say, Lord, You are sovereign. You knew before the foundation of the world what events would take place. You knew this situation. So we entrust it to You, and we trust that You will lead through godly counsel. So that was really just a, a, I mean, again, a a verse that's probably familiar to many of the people who are listening to this podcast right now, Um, but it just really came alive to us during that time. So you you didn't drag your feet. What are you doing now? You you left the mission field and you said, okay, I'm going to get busy serving Jesus in the next place that he's put me. So where are the Colberts today as we kind of wrap this up? Give us a little insight of how you're serving the Lord and how you're using your gifts. Yeah, I appreciate that, Paul. So um, afterwards, we started a church in Buffalo, New York, and we started right by the University of Buffalo with the idea of reaching international students. So similar vision to what we had in Cape Coast, just different location, slightly colder. (laughs) But um, long story short, pastored there for seven years, and then when COVID came, we, uh, we lost our meeting place, and I had lost my primary source of income. Um, long story short, we ended up merging with a, another church, and now I'm serving as the discipleship and outreach pastor, and we've had a just a flourishing ministry with international students, most coming from uh, places within the 1040 window. And these are folks who have, some of them have never heard, I mean, just ground zero. So the vision way back when I was a teenager of seeing the gospel going forward to places where it wasn't, um, now seeing a little bit of that coming to fruition here where people who have not heard before are now beginning to hear. So thankful for God's grace. This story reminds me a little bit about the time that the Holy Spirit forbid the Apostle Paul from going to Asia and Bithynia, and of course, that include, uh, included an area called Thyatira, 
and God moves him on to another place. And what do you know? He meets in Philippi a lady who was from Thyatira. And so he, it's almost as though someone wants to go to Ghana. Uh, the Lord closed the door to Ghana. Uh, you stay where you are, and yet God brings Ghanaians to you, uh, similar to the way that the Lord did that with Lydia and Thyatira in his wonderful missionary journeys. Micah, thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to hear more about a story in the future, and that is that next step. We skipped a little bit about it, which was moving from the mission field back to Buffalo. That also had some choppy waters as well, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. Hopefully in the future we can join again and talk about it. Thanks so much. Yeah, for thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. What a treat, Bofundisi, and uh, Brother Micah, I must say that your heart for the Lord and the response to the difficult trial uh, that you went through reminded me of someone in uh, Buddy Paul's biography and John Payton that I've been reading recently again, and that's Elizabeth Johnston. After facing a trial and difficulty in the mission field, uh, she left that particular field, but she never left the work of the Lord. Uh, thank you for that example. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those questions to paulschleyline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. I'm your host, Yamikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it from Missionary Minds.